Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for eternal life. Thank you that you have revealed yourself and made known how we can spend eternity with you. I pray now that you would open our hearts. Lord, as we will look into your word, I pray that you would remind us of the truth that you have revealed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, I started a new sermon series entitled, Did God Really Say? And last week was kind of the basis for the sermon series, and if you missed that one, it is online. I can show you how to find it there if you'd like. Last week, we looked at Adam and Eve's poor decision. Their decision to take that fruit. God said, don't eat from the tree of that, the, the fruit of that one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that. The serpent... Satan came by and said, oh, no, 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 did God really say that you shouldn't eat from anything, any tree in the garden? He was lying to them. He was deceiving them. He was twisting God's word. But in the process of that conversation, he deceived Adam and Eve and they took that fruit. What happened was that Adam and Eve disregarded God's very clear word and the result for them was death. And I mentioned how that death is a a physical death and a spiritual death, the death of separation from God. Today, we're going to continue our sermon series and we're going to look at the topic of hell. We're going to look at the end result of the consequences of sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and we've all sinned many times, and the end result of sin is left left to itself. The end result is punishment in hell. Now, there are lots of people in our day and age, and the number is probably growing more and more every day, that would be offended if you would suggest that God would send people to hell. Here's their thinking. Well, if I were God, I wouldn't send me to hell. I mean, I I realize I've done some wrong things, maybe even some pretty bad things, but hell, no, I think that's too severe. I wouldn't do that if I were God. And then if we were to talk to these people and just to suggest even the possibility that God may indeed send some people to hell, we might very well be called judgmental for that. And the prevailing line of thinking for so many is, can't we all just get along? Why do you have to go talking about hell? That's uncomfortable. We don't like to think about that. Why would you talk about it? Why would you be so discomforting and so judgmental? Now, believe me, I understand that line of thinking. I can see the value on some levels of not talking about hell. But on the other hand, we have to think about it. And and this became, again, stunningly clear for me this week as I went to that funeral on Tuesday for an 11-year-old boy. You know, you go to a funeral, and and at this one they have the casket right outside the sanctuary, and you walk past the casket on your way in, and you look at this body, and it's just abundantly clear that that boy is no longer there. That's just his body, and his spirit isn't there anymore. And uh, thankfully, this boy knew Jesus. But I was thinking about that as, as I was sitting in this funeral on a Tuesday, knowing that on Sunday I would be preaching about hell, and thinking to myself, eternity matters. Think how much it matters for that boy now, or for Claire Turner, both of whom knew Jesus. But these things matter. So yes, it's not perhaps fun or maybe even not nice to talk about hell. But here's the thing. 
I don't want people to go there. There's a there's this famous saying in Christianity that preachers are not supposed to preach on the topic of hell without tears. Well, I don't know if I'm going to cry today, but I will beg you something. I beg you to listen to what God has said about hell because I don't want anybody to go there. I want people to know the truth. Think of this illustration. Say you go to the doctor. Something feels just a little bit wrong with you and you go in and the doctor does this whole series of tests and uh, the doctor finds out that it's cancer. It's a treatable form of cancer, but nonetheless, it's cancer. Would you want to know about that? You know, I, I asked this question to some college students at the college ministry, and there were a couple of them there who said, oh, no, if I had cancer, I wouldn't want to know about it. I just want to go on living my life as normal. But, but if you think about it, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, well, yes, I would like to know about it, because I'd like to see if we can go on a line of treatment and look into it. Now, now think about that. Think if you went into the doctor, the results of the test were cancer, your doctor knew it. Now, what if the doctor said to himself, oh, I don't like to bring bad news, I'm just not going to tell you about this. Would the doctor be kind for saying that? No, obviously not. Now, I don't imagine that doctors enjoy that conversation. I don't imagine that they enjoy calling up the person and saying, hey, would you come in, we need to talk about the results of your test. I don't imagine that they enjoy sitting down across with them, looking them into their eyes, and saying, it's cancer. But good doctors do that because they want treatment. They want people to be well. And that's why we're talking about hell today. Hell is a reality, and we need to talk about it. If God has said something on this topic, we need to listen. Remember last week, the problem was that Adam and Eve didn't listen to God's word. He had clearly revealed for them what they were not to do. And Adam and Eve didn't listen. So has God said anything about hell to us? Well, yes, he has. In fact, Jesus, by, by one count, spoke of hell 46 times in the Gospels. So we're going to talk about hell today. But I do want to give some introductory comments first, kind of some, some of the things that we're not going to talk about or just to kind of frame our discussion. So I, I have seven of these. I'm just going to kind of rifle through them. But just to, to frame the discussion. You don't have to write these down if you don't want to. But uh, my purpose today is not to scare, not to scare, but to warn. Hell is a scary place. And I, I remember I had a dream one time when I was about in sixth grade, a terrifying dream. Um, I was, I think I was awake, but kind of dreaming, if that makes sense. I, I don't or maybe I was dreaming that I was awake and falling asleep. But in this dream, I was in a file cabinet, and in the dream, it was communicated to me somehow that if I fell asleep, that Satan, who was standing right there, was going to close the file cabinet on me. And, and it was just, just a terrifying thing. If I fall asleep, he's going to do that to me. And I remember in this dream... I was drifting asleep, and, and Satan started to close that file cabinet on me. And I was whoa, I, I have to wake up. And then, you know, the adrenaline kind of pumps. And then, after a little while again, I, I started to, to doze off again. And again, Satan started to close that file cabinet. And I was just terrified. I thought, I can't stop it. At some point in my life again, I'm going to fall asleep. And if that happens, I, I don't want to belong to Satan. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. And, and in my dream, that's what felt like was going on. So I just, I remember then sitting up in bed and, and just talking to God and saying, God, you're going to have to help me with this one. But, but the point is, 
hell is a scary, terrifying place. And I think we know that. And my point today is not to remind you necessarily of how scary it is, but just to warn you about it. And then along that line, my second introductory comment here is that my purpose today is not to judge. I'm not going to point out my bony finger, bony finger at any of you and say, you're going there. I'm not going to do that. Rather, I'm going to warn today. Judgment will come later, and God's in charge of that. But for today, we warn. Number three, so many people have a wrong view of who goes to hell. You can do a little, uh, little uh, test on this. If, you, if you're a person who watches sitcoms on TV, find how long it takes until you hear somebody say the phrase, you're going to go to hell for that. I, I was watching one recently, and somebody said something inappropriate, and the husband said to her, oh, you're going to go to hell for saying that. Even uh, Mitt Romney, I think this was in the, uh, Republican, uh, the speech at the Republican National Convention, talked about something that he didn't do because he didn't want to go to hell for it. And it's become a punchline. It's become this like, oh, yeah, if you do something wrong, you're going to go to hell for it. And, it. and it's sad to me that so many people think that the opposite is true, too, that if we do enough good things, then we'll get to go to heaven. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. We need to know what the Bible says about who goes to hell and who goes to heaven. Number four, we should not speak of people going to hell with a smile on our face. There should be no sense of strange fascination with the idea of people going to hell. If that's how we view hell, that we're, you know, we look at people and say, ha, I'm glad you're going to get that. There, there's something wrong there. Now, now, there is a sense of justice that we'll talk about later, yes, but as we're talking to real human beings, there shouldn't be this smile on our face as we talk about these things. Wayne Grudem said, it should be hard for us to think of this doctrine today. It should be unpleasant for us to think about it. So, uh, so welcome to an unpleasant sermon, I guess. But, uh, number five, awareness of judgment is a healthy thing. Awareness of final judgment is a healthy thing. Just like a final exam in a college course. You, you know that it's coming and you study for it. It's good to know exactly when and where that is and to know what's going to be covered so that you can study for it. Likewise, it's healthy for us to have an awareness of the final judgment that is coming. Number six, when we talk about hell, we have to address the issue of God's goodness. Can a loving God really send people to hell? This issue is front and center in, in, our, in our day and age, even in Christianity. There is a famous Christian pastor, in fact, a pastor who was on the cover of a magazine, and the, the title was, Is This the Next Billy Graham? or something like that. It's, his name is Rob Bell. This is a guy that people were looking up to. And he wrote a book called Love Wins where he suggests that there really is no hell because it's too severe of a punishment. He asked that question, you know, how can hell exist on one hand and a loving God exist on the other? And, and his answer is that, well, there must not really be a hell then. Is that where we should go with this? I don't think so. I think we, we vehemently need to disagree with Rob Bell on this one. And I'll answer that question later on about God's goodness and the existence of hell because I think there's a much better answer for it than what he gave. And then seven. This is an important one. Most people in their right mind don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I don't think that people are living their lives, even you think about the worst sinner that you can imagine, I don't think that they're doing it because they want to go to hell. I think that as we talk about this topic, we need to realize that 
people know that hell is a bad place, although every once in a while you will meet somebody, and I've met some of these people who think that hell won't be a bad place or that it'll be a big party. They're just mistaken about what hell is. But if people really understood what hell is, nobody would want to go there. And we need to have a sense of compassion then for people to say, let me tell you how you can escape. The problem is, too many people don't know the truth of what God has said. And again, as we think about Adam and Eve, God gave them truth. He warned them. said, don't eat from that or you'll die. They ate from it and they died. God was right. So we're doing this series entitled, Did God Really Say? Because we need to know what God has said. If God has revealed something as truth, we need to know it. So we're going to talk about hell today. And to do so, we're going to look at a passage in Revelation 20. I picked this one because it's so clear. It's the, it's the day of final judgment, when people are brought before the throne of God and judged, and they're sent to one of two places. Revelation 20 speaks of the eternal lake of fire as a place, it's another way of talking about hell. Now, what we need to understand as well about Revelation is that that's not the end of the story. There's 22 chapters in Revelation, and the last two chapters talk about the new heaven and the new earth, the place that God's children will get to go and spend all eternity with him in a blessed place. So we're talking about hell today, which is kind of a bad deal, but I want you to know that that's not the end of the story, that the next chapters talk about something much better. But just to make sure you know where, where we're talking about here, we're talking about the day of final judgment. So this is after the second coming of Christ, after the millennium. This is the day of final judgment. And then just one side note, theological side note, this might be kind of uh, advanced. Um, hell is really an umbrella term, as is heaven. If you ask the question, where do people go when they die? Hell is just a general answer. There's actually a more specific answer for it. The Bible talks about Hades as a place. So right now, if people were to die and they have rejected Jesus all their lives, they would go to Hades. And then our passage today will talk about Hades, giving up the dead that is in it, and then the people are judged. And after that, then, they go to the lake of fire. So hell is a general term Hades is a specific term for right now lake of fire is a specific term for all of eternity and I think it's accurate on one sense to say we can just talk about both of them as hell uh, I think that conveys the same picture but if you want to be real specific it's Hades and then the lake of fire and just similarly uh, continuing my side note heaven is an umbrella term people who die now who know Jesus go to paradise and then after that there's the millennium the thousand year reign of Christ and after that is the new heaven and the new earth so anyways, I, I just want to be clear about those terms because a lot of people ask that question, well, where, where do I go now if I die? And it's, I, I think it's helpful to know the answer to those questions. Okay. Today we're talking about final judgment and we're going to look at a passage in, in Revelation 20. I want to first read for you verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years, that's the millennium, are over... Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The, the picture here is a final battle. 
But it's a pretty anticlimactic battle because it's the enemies, they, they start surrounding the camp of God and then just all of a sudden, boom, fire, and they're destroyed. And, and by the way, that is the picture of the, the Bible. God wins. It's not really a fight. God wins. But for some reason, some people followed Satan into this battle. And I don't, you know, they're deceived by Satan. They hadn't listened to God's word is probably the reason. And then we see judgment coming down on the devil in verse 10. It says that he was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur in the NIV. A better translation would probably be the lake of fire and sulfur. Or maybe one of, some of your translations say lake of fire and brimstone. That's where the, the fire and brimstone preachers come from. That's this passage right here. What is that place? Well, Jesus described it earlier. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus talked about the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So this is the place of final judgment created specifically for the devil and his angels. And as it says here, these other wicked creatures in Revelation, the beast uh, and the false prophet. And in verse 10 of our passage, it says that the devil and the beast and the false prophet will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God created that place for them to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Two things about hell I want to point out from this verse, and these two are both in your bulletins if you're following along. Number one, hell is a real place. At the end of the ages, there's a place called the Lake of Fire that people that, that, that is made for Satan, and it's a place that he will really go to. Now that's different than what some people say. I, some people will say, oh, hell is just earth. Hell is the bad things we face here. Hell is AIDS. Hell is cancer. No, it's not. Hell is a place called the Lake of Fire. And it's a real place. And then number two, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment. That's an important phrase. It's one that's used by a lot of evangelicals and it's a really good one to describe what the Bible says. Eternal conscious punishment. It's eternal because it lasts forever and ever. It's conscious because the, the descriptions in the Bible indicate that people will experience the torment of it. It's not that just that they go there and that the switch is turned off on people and they're, they're gone or that they're just annihilated. It's that people go there and experience pain. And then it's punishment, obviously, because we see the pain of it. And it's punishment because it's the result of sin handed down as judgment. So hell is a real place, and it's a place of eternal conscious punishment. Now, it makes sense to us, doesn't it, that Satan would be judged like this? When we look at this, and we see Satan being sent there, what we think is, well, good, he's getting what he deserved. He has rebelled against God for so long. He's the enemy of our souls. And... And there's this sense of justice that wells up in us and says, yes, that is the right place for him to go. He deserves punishment. Or even as we think about Adolf Hitler, for example, there's something good and right to think about a place where evil is judged and punished. Our, our theology has to pass what I call the Hitler test. Because there's some people out there who would say, oh no, th there is no hell. Okay, well let's, let's apply the Hitler test to it then. Uh, if there is no hell, then there's no punishment. There's no judgment. And if there is no judgment, if there's no justice, then Hitler did nothing wrong. So should we imagine uh, a, 
a universe where people can do whatever evil they want and then when they die they go up to heaven and God says well done good and faithful servant no that, that's an outrage I, I don't understand why some people want to presume that that's the way that it will work that we can just do whatever we want here and there's no punishment for it that's not what God has revealed to us God has revealed that there is a place of judgment now, when I talk about Hitler, you know, I, I believe that people have the, the chance to repent of their sins. So, not, not to, I, and I'm not the judge here, so I'm not the one who's going to say that some person did or didn't repent. But what we're talking about is evil people who reject God all their lives. The Bible clearly talks about a place for them to go that is eternal conscious punishment. Hell is God's idea. God is a God of grace. God is also the God who came up with the idea of hell as a place to punish people. And I think on some level then we should be glad that there is. We should be glad to know that there's a hell so that heaven can be perfect. There's a place where the wicked can go so that there won't be any wickedness in heaven. Okay, let's go on now and read the next part of this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the picture here, obviously, is Judgment Day. There's one seated on the throne. It's probably Jesus, because in John 5, we learn that Jesus has been given authority by the Father to judge. And then it says that the dead were brought before the throne for judgment. And it talks of books being opened, and then a different book, the Book of Life. Now, the plural books look like they contain the deeds of men. People will be judged, it says, according to what they had done, and it was recorded in those books. Now, just another side note here. Theologians disagree about whether or not Christians will be in this judgment or not. Some people say that since it's talking about the dead, that it means that Christians are alive in Christ and they don't go through this judgment. Other theologians assume that this is the final judgment for everybody and, and Christians will escape from that judgment because they'll get to be with Christ. But either way, whether we assume that Christians are at this judgment or not, the Bible is actually very clear that even Christians will have to stand before the judgment seat of God to explain what we've done. Uh, I've got a, a verse here that says, uh, that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I tend to lean towards the idea that Christians don't go through this judgment in Revelation 20, that we Christians will already have been uh, brought into eternity, brought into heaven with Jesus, so we don't have to face this judgment. But I'm not 100% sure on that. But either way you slice it, we're all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ at some time. And there are books that are being written that will record our good deeds and our bad deeds. God has seen all that has ever happened and the books contain the testimony. And then there's this verse 15, which I want to reread. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I want to be very clear about something here. The judgment in verse 15 is about the book of life. 
In verses 12 and 13, it's talking about the judgment according to the books, plural, and those books, again, contain the deeds of people, the, the, probably both the good and the bad deeds. But then verse 15 talks about the singular book, the book of life, and judgment. So whether a person goes to, to heaven or to hell, in verse 15 it says clearly that the judgment is based on whether or not a person's name is in the book of life. Now, if eternal life were based on the books, based on the, the good or bad things that we had done, none of us would pass that test. The, the Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6 tells the, the punishment for it. It says the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us has done something wrong, and the punishment for sin is separation from God. If left unchecked, that would be the fate of all of us. If it's just left according to what we have done or not done, it would be judgment for all of us. Adam and Eve found out about judgment that comes from disobeying God's word and, it, and it's deeper than that because it's not just that we had you know, done one thing wrong and kind of messed things up for a while it's that our sin separates us from God and our sin deserves punishment so if God is going to judge and punish sin and we are sinners where does that leave us? well again if our eternal destiny were based on our good or evil deeds none of us would pass but that's not what this passage says so that's what I want to be clear about and I want to read verse 15 again so you get it very clearly if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire heaven and hell for us hinge on whether our name is written in the book of life so the thir number three here in your bulletins if you're following along is that people will go to hell if their names are not written in the book of life. People will go to hell if their names are not written in the book of life. So my big idea today is a question. Is your name written in the book of life? That's the question that we should be asking as we read this passage. We see it all comes down to this one final judgment, this one final book. Is your name written in there? Earlier in Revelation 13:8, we see that this book of life belongs to the Lamb, belongs to Jesus Christ. So if the book belongs to the Lamb, my question is, do you belong to the Lamb? Revelation tells us that those who belong to Christ will have their robes washed, that they're, they're tainted, they're stained red by our sin, but in Christ they're washed and made white. Now a little uh, illustration on this one our family was having a, a movie night. We were going to watch the movie, we did watch the movie Ratatouille. And as part of that, Christine made a, a ratatouille pasta, kind of a, a soup, not exactly a ratatouille, but kind of a, a pasta type ratatouille. And as part of this, I, I think it was Josiah that came up with this game that we could play, that we were going to put one red noodle into this pasta, and whoever got the red noodle in their bowl was going to win. So... Uh, we put all, all white noodles in this pasta sauce and cooked it on there and then put that one red noodle in there as well. So you can picture the scene. We're about to start the movie and we get our bowls of soup ready and every single one of us is with our spoon in there. Did I get the red one? Did I get the red one? And, and none of us could find it in there. So I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll be smart. I'll go back to the, the pot because I think there's some more in there. So I, I went in there and I looked and I looked and I looked. I couldn't find it. And none of us could find it. Where did this thing go? And, and finally I said, Christine, what 
what shape was that pasta in? Was it a different shape than the rest of the noodles? And she said, yeah, it was actually a different shape. That one was shaped like a wheel. All the other were just kind of regular pasta shapes, but the red one was a wheel. So I said, okay, okay, I'm going to look. So I got my bowl out again. I looked and I looked. And I, and sure enough, there it was, but it wasn't red anymore. <laughs> the, the red pasta had been made white by being cooked in red pasta sauce. Isn't that strange? I mean, that's, I, I don't know the science behind it, but, uh, but that's what happened. And that is a picture of the spiritual truth that happens for us. We are stained red by our sin. There's nothing that we can do about it. But the blood of Christ washes us. And it says in the Bible that our sins will be made white as snow. That we will, in Revelation, the picture is that we will be given white robes to wear to replace the ones that have been stained by sin. And that happens for anybody who knows Jesus Christ. So to recap here a little bit, hell is a real place. It's a really bad place. And people will go there if their names aren't written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Like I said, every one of us has done something wrong. But Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He took our sins upon him paid the penalty, defeated sin and death and the devil so that any of us who has received him as Savior and Lord can have eternal life. We can escape this judgment of Revelation 20. That's the good news here. We're talking about hell, but really what we're talking about then is how God doesn't want us to go there, wants to rescue us. But in order for that to happen, we need to be in Christ, and in order for that to happen, we need to know what God's word has said. That faith comes through hearing the message. So I want to give you one more, I have a few other Bible verses, but one more key verse here. John 3.36, excuse me, John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So there's the key. That's whose names are written in the book of life, those who have received, believed in Jesus Christ. We only have two options according to that verse, believe or reject. Is it really that simple? My answer to that is yes and no. Yes, it's that simple because it's true. Anybody who has received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord gets eternal life. But no, it's not that simple either because that's such a huge thing that we're talking about. To believe in Jesus is, a, is the most important thing we could ever do. To believe in Jesus is to give our lives to Him. To believe in Jesus is to realize that we're sinners and that we need to be forgiven. To believe in Jesus is to recognize that He is Lord and King and that we are not. And then to believe in Jesus means that we submit our lives to Him and commit to living the rest of our lives for Him. So that's not a simple matter. It's simple in that, yes, we can actually receive Him. Even today you could receive Him. And in a few moments here, uh, I'll say a prayer. If anybody wants to receive Jesus, you can do that. But it's, it's, it's also a lifelong process of following Christ knowing Him as Lord and Savior. Judgment is at stake here. And I realize that judgment and hell can be pretty terrifying. But the truth is, God has revealed to us that after death comes judgment. Theologian Michael Wilcox says, the last great reality is judgment, the payment of all accounts, the writing of all wrongs. God will judge. He is holy. Now on the bright side, his judgment will be fair. One of my great fears in life is to be wrongly judged. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but 
imagine going back home today after church and you know, a couple hours later the police knock on your door and, and they say your full name and they say you are under arrest for murder. And let's say you didn't do it. I mean, you, they're just wrong. But they arrest you and you go on trial and you get convicted for it and sent away to prison for 30 years and you didn't do it. That happens to people. I, I, it's one of my fears. I hope it never happens to any of us. But or on a much smaller level here. I, you know, I play basketball a couple times here a week at the YMCA and boy, there are some foul calls that don't get made or some that do that shouldn't get made and it just bothers me. And I'm trying to work on this spiritually, you know, not to let it bother me so much. But there's just something wrong about it when somebody hits you on the arm when you're shooting and they don't call a foul. How can that happen? <laughs> but thankfully, we have a perfect judge. And he has clearly revealed to us what the judgment will be based on. And it's based on his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe or do you reject? Those are the only two choices. And as we talk about the character of our judge, not only is he a perfect judge, but listen to some things that the Bible says about him. In Ezekiel 33:11, it says that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he would rather have people repent. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God wants all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. So yes, judgment sounds terrifying, but God wants to save us. And Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ, we need not fear judgment. We saw that in our First uh, John study as well, that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with judgment. And in Christ we know what the judgment is. That he saves us completely and eternally. So God will judge. Is he being unfair? That's the charge that's leveled against him by some people, including Rob Bell. Is, is God being unfair? No. Why? Because his judgment is going to be based on what he has already clearly told us. Think of Adam and Eve. God told them not to take the fruit. They took it, and God did exactly to them what he said he would do. God has revealed to us that those whose names are not written in the book of life will spend eternity away from him. He's also told us that we can receive Christ and have life. God's judgment is fair. And then let me pose it this way, too, as we're still talking about the question of God's fairness. I'll ask the question this way. If people disregard God all their lives, why should they get to spend eternity with Him? God has revealed to us how we can have eternal life, and it's in Christ. So I have three applications, and, and these will, I'm going to kind of go through these here pretty quickly. The first one is receive Christ. Receive Christ. If you haven't already, receive Him today, now. It matters. There were two funerals this week for 11-year-olds. One of them died in a car accident. We don't know when the end is going to be. Please receive Christ. Please hear God's word about eternity. To receive him, one of the ways you can do it, just talk to him in prayer. Thank him for what Jesus did on the cross and pray to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I'll give you a chance to do that in a few moments. Second application is live rightly now. Live rightly now. If we say that we have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it should impact the way that we live life. If 
the way out of hell is to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, then we should live right now as if He is our Lord. There are books being written about our good and our bad deeds. And there is going to be reward in heaven for, for good deeds. There's lots of reasons for us to say that we should be living for Jesus Christ as Lord right now. And then the third application, we should tell others. We should tell others. Heaven and hell are at stake. The way out of hell and into heaven is through Jesus Christ. We should let other people know about it. Hell is a reality, and again, I don't want anybody to go there. So we should be talking to other people about this. Who can you tell? Who can you be praying for? Who is it that needs to hear this message? Would you please do your part to be a watchman, to warn them, and to tell them about the great plan of salvation in Jesus Christ? I want people to know this glorious truth of eternal life with Jesus, and I don't want anyone to go to hell. God has clearly revealed the truth about life and death, and we need to listen to what God says. Would you pray with me? And again, I'll, if there's anybody in here that just wants to know for sure that they have eternal life, you want to be rescued from hell, you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. So you can just do that with me silently in your own heart, talking to God. God, we love you. We thank you for what you have done to rescue us from sin and death and hell. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross where you paid for our sin. I now pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, the one who forgives me of my sins, and as Lord, the one who is rightly in control of my life. Please come into my heart and help me to live the life that you want me to live. And Father, for the rest of us, may we live every day in light of the truth of who you are. May we live our lives in light of Judgment Day too, knowing that we'll have to give an answer for everything. May we know your grace and your mercy and your goodness to us to rescue us. And may we live in light of who you are. God, thank you for revealing truth. Thank you for the rescue that you have brought to us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.